Well, turning your Bibles to Hebrews 6, we're continuing our study of what we're calling the hard passages. And let me remind you again, if there's a passage you want us to go over, uh, write it down and give it to me. Uh, I have the guy that's in the Philippines that's listening every week, and he wrote me and said, I want this hard passage if you can do it sometime. And uh, so we'll do it, uh, most likely. Uh, but anyway, so uh, look at the passages. Sometimes we look at passages, they look hard. They look hard, hard to understand. What we know is this. What we know is that salvation is not by works, and eternal life is eternal. So when people say, uh, you have to do this to be saved, we know that's not true because salvation is by faith. And when people say, well, you could lose eternal life, or you could, we know that you can't lose eternal life. So those are great three key things. So in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, there are two issues that come up. One is they've fallen away, and it's impossible to renew them to repentance. And then another one that says that uh, there's, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins, but only the judgment of God. What does that mean? How does all that fit? Well, we'll see it as we go through. So sometimes there's confusion when somebody trusts Christ as Savior and they don't grow or they don't live as some people think they ought to live. And people will say things like, okay, see this person, they said they believed in Jesus. Of course, you got to be real careful when people just say they believe in Jesus. What are we talking about? Are they believing in Jesus for eternal life? Are they just believing Jesus existed or whatever? But anyway, some people will say, well, they said they believe in Jesus, but they don't live right. And so the responses most of the time or a lot of times is that they were saved, but they lost their salvation. There's a whole bunch of denominations, Church of Christ and and, uh, uh, Nazarene and Methodist and a whole bunch of Arminian-type groups that say you can be saved but lose it. And then there's some that, that say, you, you say you believe, but you're never saved. And if you'd have been saved, you'd have kept living good and doing what's right. That's a lot of reformed people, those kind of things. So there's out there, there's those, those issues that we see all the time. What do we know? Well, the biblical view is a believer, is there such a thing as a believer who's either lost his salvation or never believed even though they said that? No, we look. We look at these people as disobedient Christians. When a person believes in Christ for eternal life, and then they sort of fall away, or they've done what's happened in, in Hebrews 6 or Hebrews 10, we don't say they either lost their salvation or never had it. We say they're disobedient Christians. They've moved away from the truth. And so, as we look at this, the writer of Hebrews warns these believers, because they are believers, that they will lose rewards and be disciplined. That's what we saw, and we've talked about it. And so I want to just quickly review. Now, let me remind you of what's happened. The book of Hebrews is written to who? Hebrews. I mean, let's face it, right? It says Hebrews, and, and, and it's written to the to tribes, and so he's written to Jewish believers. These are Jewish people who at the time, it has to be before the AD 70, before the temple is destroyed, because that, that, they're offering sacrifices, and so the temple has not been destroyed. So this is sometime from 30-something to 70-something, and this is what's going on. And these believers, they had believed in Jesus Christ as the Savior. They had trusted in him for eternal life, and then they move away. And the, pressure, the persecution comes, the pressure comes, all these things happen to them. So what do they do? They put themselves, they say, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to go through this. And so they know that if they say they're Jews, if they go, and they are Jews, if they go back under the Mosaic law, nobody's going to persecute them. See, the Romans and the Jews were persecuting the Christians. And so they basically said, if we go back under and put ourselves back under Mosaic law, they'll leave us alone. 
But the problem is you can't grow and, and you're doing the things that are wrong. So this is what happened. They, they put themselves back under the Mosaic law and the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, and we don't know who it is, he writes and tells them, listen, you got to understand Jesus is better than the Mosaic law. He's better than the priesthood. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than Moses. He's better than the sacrificial system. He's better than anything. That's what the whole book is about, how Jesus is better than anything. And he's basically saying you need to get back to Jesus. And, and get away from the Mosaic law aspect, which doesn't save you, and you don't live the Christian life by the Mosaic law. He's basically saying, do this, get going. He writes to him and says this, he says, and having fallen away, they've fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, in other words, to get them to change their mind, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. They continue to crucify Jesus by actually going back and offering the sacrifices. What they were saying is Jesus wasn't enough. We have to continue to offer the sacrifices. And then he goes on and talks about the ground that drinks in the rain and there's, that's good stuff and the other one is burned up. And he's basically saying, if you live good and, and get back and grow, you're going to produce fruit. But if you don't, it's going to be burned up. And we're not talking about salvation there. We're talking about rewards. So let me remind you of what we saw last time. In Hebrews 5.11, he's called these people dull of hearing. He says, you are believers, you're dull of hearing. In verse 12, he says, by this time you should be teachers, and, but you need to be taught. Let me ask you a question. Would the writer of Hebrews tell unbelievers they need to be teaching the Bible? No, it's, it, there's definitely believers all the way through. Then he says, let's go on to maturity. Would you tell an unbeliever to go on to maturity? No. Would he tell them this? He says, you are those who have been enlightened. That's happened in the past. That's being born again. Taste of the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift is eternal life. Partakers of the Holy Spirit. Only believers have the Holy Spirit. The word partakers actually means a sharer. They've tasted the good word of God. Only believers can understand the good word of God. And they understand about the powers of ages to come. So in Hebrews 6, 4, he is describing them. And it would be almost impossible to say these aren't believers. But they are. And so he says all these things about them and what they've done and, 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 they, you know, and they have fallen away. It says so, and some Bibles say if they've fallen away, New American Standard translates it correctly, having fallen away, they've fallen away. What's, how did they fall away? What did they do? Do what? They went back under what? Mosaic law and offer sacrifices again. Listen, you've got to be real careful when you, when you sacrifice Jesus every time you meet. Because there are groups today that sacrifice Jesus every time they meet. And so they're, they're doing this. And so the writer of the Hebrews is basically saying, listen, if you've done this, if you've done this, if you've fallen away, it's impossible for a change of mind, as repentance is, since you crucify the Son of God again. And so we'd say this, as long as they're offering sacrifices and saying Jesus wasn't enough, they can't have that change of mind and get back into fellowship. Now that's all it is. And you, many people would teach that they fall away. That means they lose their salvation. And since they fall away, it's impossible for them to be saved again. There are people who teach. You can believe, fall away, quit believing or whatever they want. And then you can never be saved again. That's what a lot of people teach from this passage. That's why it is so Strange that when people come off and they hear this for the first time, the bad way, they will come, they call me, uh, I got to talk to you, I got a passage I want you to look at. I say, Hebrews 6, they go, how do you know? Because everybody pulls that on people and there are some great people who are out there who are confused and they think, well, if I don't live right, if I don't really grow, if I don't do what's right, then I'm, I'm going to lose my salvation and I can never get it again. 
Now, this passage says, as long as you Jewish people who are believers in Christ and have eternal life have put yourself under Mosaic law, as long as you're doing that, it's impossible for you to get back into fellowship with God and to grow as a believer and to go on. He says, now, what I want you to do is get back so that you can produce fruit, because if you don't, everything will be burned up. And that's why in verse 9, he, and, and I think, yeah, as long as they're offering the sacrifices, they can't, can't do that. And so in verse 7 and 8, he says, if you do what's right, ground plus rain, there's vegetation. But if you do what's wrong, if you don't get back into fellowship, there's thorns, thistles, it's worthless, there's no fruit. He's talking about production. He's not talking about salvation. And anytime people see the word fire, they say, if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless, close to being cursed, ends up being burned. They say, see, that's hell. That's not hell. In fact, when you stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, the rewarding stand, how is your works tested? By fire. We're not talking about salvation, okay? So anyway, he says this. This is how we ended last week. He's convinced of better things. He said, but beloved, we're convinced of better things concerning uh, things to you, concerning the things that accompany salvation. He said, you're going to get back. And, that, and, and even toward the end of the letter, he almost hints that some of them are turning back, but we don't know. And so when you read the book of Hebrews, uh, it's a powerful book because what it does is it takes all the Old Testament stuff and all the stuff about Jesus and it brings it together. And this is one reason, I wanted, before I went to Dallas Seminary, I taught a Bible study that was the book of Hebrews, and it helped me put together Old Testament and New Testament even before I went to seminary. I also taught the book of Acts, which put together the first 30 years of the church. So I was very fortunate before I went to seminary, I had already have an idea of how the church functions, and also Old Testament and New Testament coming together. Well, from this, I want you to flip over, turn a few pages over to Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, and we're going to see another hard passage. And most of the time, they go together. A lot of people will get focused on Hebrews chapter 6, and then they think they're okay, and then they get to chapter 10. And then they're in trouble all over again because they read a passage that says, if we go on willfully sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. You know what people say? If you keep sinning as a believer, you, you're, you're, after knowing the truth about Jesus, there's no longer the sacrifice. That sacrifice doesn't count for you. Jesus' sacrifice doesn't count for you. What you're going to get is the judgment and fire of God. That's what they teach. Let me ask you a question. If you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, uh, does that sacrifice for you, that he, he's done it for everybody, but does that still count? Yes. Yeah, forever, no matter what you do? Yes. Right. So let's look at it. And, in, and, and what we see in chapter 10, he's dealing once again with discipline and loss of rewards. It's the same thing in chapter 6. If they, didn't, if they didn't get back, what kind of field are they? They're worthless and they are burned up if they didn't get back to God. We're going to see what's happening over here. If we go on sinning willfully. Is every sin a willful sin? Huh? You want to say that louder? You're right. Not ever. No. Uh-uh. Listen, uh, if I go this and go, Ooh, oh boy, I sure didn't mean to do that. Is that different than 
Give me some binoculars. Right? Are that two different things? Is there sins that are willful and sins that aren't? What is a willful sin? It's called a presumptuous sin. You know what that means? It means that you plan to do it on purpose. Sometimes we sin and we go, oh. In the Old Testament, sometimes called the sin when you go, oh, it's called a sin. I couldn't help it. It's that's what it, it, you just messed it up. So he says, if we go on sinning, how? Willfully. So can you willfully sin? Yeah. Can you unwillfully sin? Yeah. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, the truth about Jesus, the truth about the Christian life, the truth about certain sins, the truth about everything. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, if you keep on willfully sinning, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Whoa, what does that mean? But what you should expect is a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. He said, if you keep on willfully sinning, after you know what's right, and on purpose do it, there's no longer a sacrifice. You go, what does that mean? We'll tell you in just a minute. But you expect what? What should you expect from God? Discipline. If you sin on purpose and keep sinning, what should you expect from your heavenly Father? What does Hebrews 12 say? For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. What should you expect as a believer, if you willfully sin and keep saying, I'm going to do that, I know it's wrong, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. What should you expect from your heavenly father? Well, say it. Discipline. You think, you think your heavenly father is going to let you get away? He loves you more than you. Listen, your mama and daddy, when you did something and you kept doing it, and they said, okay, get the switch. Um, you know, they're getting you, right? You should expect that. What should you expect from your heavenly father? Discipline. So, what's going on? What does it mean, no sacrifice for sin? What does it go on? Well, we know this. The salvation is a gift. It's not based on our faithfulness. It's not based on whether we sin or not. It's all sin paid for. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of the entire world. Okay, so our sins, that, now, as a Christian, as we sin, that knocks us out of what? Fellowship. And so we need to confess sin, get back in, and willfully sin. We're going to talk about it in just a second because he's basically going to talk about willful sins. So he's going to try to encourage them because these are believers. Now, are they willfully sinning by continuing to offer the sacrifices, even though they know the truth about Jesus and what he's done? Are they willfully sinning? Yes. And, he knows, and he's already written to them. So what's going to happen? So what does he tell them? Let's look at verse 23. The writer begins by encouraging. He says, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Let's hold fast what we believe, our confession of faith, the fact that we believed in Christ, that we, he's the final sacrifice for sin forever. Let's get back to doing what's right. Let's hold fast the confession. They had trusted Christ for eternal life. They had believed in him. The persecution was going on. But he says, let's get back. And then he says this in verse 24. Look what he says. And let's consider how to encourage, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. What should they be doing? Offering sacrifices or doing good love and good deeds? Listen, get away from this mess because this is not doing you any good at all. We already know that you've, you've already confessed that Jesus is your Savior. You believed in him. Now you're back under law. Let's get back. Let's consider how to stimulate one another for love and good deeds. And then he says the one that we hear all the time. Not 
forsaking our own assembly together as the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching, drawing near. What, where are these Jewish believers who are offering sacrifices, are they meeting with the church, with the body of Christ? No. What happens when people get sin in their life? What happens is all of a sudden, that used to be their chair. We don't see them anymore. You find out that when people get sin in their lives, when they know they're doing wrong, they quit meeting with fellow believers. And they're out of fellowship with God, and they're out of fellowship with believers. What does he say? He says, let's don't forsake the assembly of ourselves as the habit of some. Some are already doing it. But what you should do is encourage one another as you see the day drawing near. What day? What's he talking about? The day in which you stand before Jesus Christ and be rewarded. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. The day. There's an aspect sometimes called the day of the Lord, and many people believe the day of the Lord begins with the rapture. We'll talk more about it when we get into the book of, Hebrew, uh, the book of Revelation and get into more of tribulation part. But there's an idea that the day of the Lord is taken out and we stand before Jesus Christ at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. Now he says, but hold fast, encourage one another, get back to meeting with fellow believers, get back into fellowship, basically he says, because the day's coming. Jesus is coming back one of these days. And then... Here's this warning. It's called the warning passage. And he says, For if we will go on sinning willingly, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If we keep on sinning, literally keep on sinning, and it's willful sins. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice for sin. What is he talking about? They would know exactly what he's talking about. You don't know. You're not Jewish. You're not living in the first century. You're not living while the temple is still there. They would know. In the first, under the Mosaic law, here you are. You're out there. And you commit a sin of couldn't help it. Right? We couldn't help it. Okay. Oh. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Get us some kind of animal. Maybe it's a lamb. Maybe it's, and we go. And we say, I uh, committed a sin, I couldn't help it. And so you put the hands there, they kill the animal, they put it up there, and your sins are covered. What happens if you said, I got my binoculars, and I'm looking on purpose, or I'm doing this on purpose, or I'm lying on purpose, I'm stealing on purpose, it's a willful sin. What were you supposed to do under the Mosaic Law? There was no sacrifice under the Mosaic law for a willful sin. When you sinned willfully, you could not take an animal up there. And what you could expect is what? What would you expect from God? Discipline. Had nothing to do with salvation. So when he says, if you keep on willfully sinning, just remember, there's no sacrifice for sins. He says that you know that. You know that what happens when you continually sin and keep on sinning, that there's no sacrifice for sin. What does it mean? He's not dealing with salvation issues. He's dealing with fellowship issues. And in the sacrificial system, there were sacrifices for sin, but not willful sins. They're called presumptuous sins. So under the Mosaic law, you do one of those sins. You didn't go offer a sacrifice. What you said was, uh-oh, right? The, my father is going to get me. When you sin, and you sin willfully, and you keep on sinning willfully, what should you expect? That God's going to discipline you. 
There was no sacrifice. So what should you expect? Look at the next verse. But a terrifying expectation of judgment, that's where it has the idea of discipline, and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Expect discipline. The expectation of judgment and discipline. Anytime people see fire, what do they think? Hell. We've already seen in all the passages we looked at that fire has nothing to do with hell. Has nothing to do with lake of fire. And so he says, guess what? That's what's going You're going to get burned. You're going to get burned. You touch that, you're going to get burned. And so if we go on sinning willfully, on purpose, after we know the knowledge of the truth, if you Jews keep offering the sacrifices, keep being out of fellowship, if you keep doing it after you know the truth and you do, there's no sacrifice to cover this, but there's a terrifying expectation of the discipline of God. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and Scourges. The word chasten means to discipline. The word scourge means to take the hide off. That's what it means. He's talking about believers there. Talking about believers. 31. Oh, by the way, look at verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge who? Verse, look at verse 30. Who will the ju- Lord judge? Look at it. What does it say? His people. It's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Would you rather confess your sin or get disciplined by God? These Jewish people, what should they have done? They should have stopped offering those sacrifices, got back into fellowship with God. He's warned them twice. In Hebrews 6, he says it's impossible for you to get back as long as you're offering these sacrifices. And then he says over here, as long as you're doing this, if you're willfully sinning after knowing what's right, there's no sacrifice to deal with this. You should expect the judgment of God. There was judgment under the law. And he actually goes on and says, anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy. He said, whenever you did it under the Mosaic law, sometimes you even died. And then he says, look at verse 29. How much severe, severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under, underfoot the Son of God? Think about it. When they're offering the sacrifices, they're saying the Son of God's blood doesn't mean anything. That's what they're saying. Because we got to go back and do sacrifices again. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you better get this fixed or else you're going to get the discipline of God. And it's not going to be easy. If people died under the Mosaic law, how much more punishment do you think will happen those who trample underfoot the Son of God and regard as unclean the blood of the covenant? And you insulted the Spirit of grace. Wow. If you continue in sin, there's no sacrifice to save you from the discipline. That's what he boils down to. If you continue in sin, there is no sacrifice to save you from the discipline. God's going to judge his people. That's verse 30. Verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great what? Reward. Is he talking about salvation? He's talking about rewards. Listen, if you get out of fellowship, stay out of fellowship, how many rewards are you going to have during that time? Not a thing. And will he discipline us? Yeah. What about these Hebrews? What about these Jewish believers who said, we believe in Jesus for eternal life and we're saved, but the pressure's too much, too much, too much. We're going back under and we're going to pretend. Basically, we're going to say we're, we're Jews. We're just going to go back under the law and that way the persecution won't be here. And he says, as long as you're there, you can't get in fellowship. 
And as long as you're there doing that presumptuous sin, you should expect the discipline of God. Wow. Hebrews 6, as long as they offer the sacrifices, crucifying Christ again and again, they're not able to have the change of mind, get back into fellowship. Hebrews 10, as long as they continue with these sacrifices, this willful sin, expect the discipline of God. Let me ask you this question. We believe in Christ. We know that Jesus already died on the cross to pay for the sins of who? Every person. Believers and unbelievers. So sin isn't the issue for salvation, is it? In other words, you're not saved, because, uh, saved or lost because of sin. Jesus Christ has already dealt with sin. You're saved or lost because of whether you believe or not, right? Okay, then as a believer, you want to be in fellowship with God. But sin becomes an issue. In fellowship, sin becomes an issue in the Christian life. And if you have sin in your life, what does that mean? You're not in fellowship with God. And there are different kinds of sins. There are sins that couldn't help it. And there are presumptuous sins. David wrote, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. If we sin and confess it, what does God do? Puts us back in the fellowship. What if we sin willfully and don't deal with it? Discipline. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. That's Hebrews 12. All this is in the book of Hebrews. So let me give you some applications, and then we can have some questions before we break off if we want to. Uh, let's understand that sin brings discipline. It does. God will discipline his children that he loves. He's telling the Hebrew people, I'm going to discipline you. Sin results in loss of rewards both now and in the future. When you're out of fellowship, even now, you're losing everything. You're not just losing future rewards. You're losing opportunities for everything. Sin, confess sin, and get into fellowship. And just remember, Mosaic law, you did a presumptuous sin on purpose. There wasn't a sacrifice for it. Let's hold fast and go on to maturity. That's what we should do, right? Let's hold fast and go on to maturity. Um, so here's what we do. Let's hold fast to what we believe. See, these guys didn't. They believed in Christ for eternal life, but the pressure came and they caved. And they said, to get the pressure off, we'll just go back and be Jews again. Because the Jews are persecuting the Christians and the Romans are persecuting the Christians. We're okay being Jewish. That's what they did. But let's hold fast to what we believe. Listen, it's going to get worse as the days go by. For when you stand for Christ, when you're willing to say, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to go to the Father except through him. I believe the Bible. I believe Christ. I'm going to live for Christ. You will be attacked. You'll be attacked by uh, unbelieving world. And you'll be attacked by some, uh, so either... The church, which may or may not be believing, when I say the church, I mean just the organized church, which may or may not have believers in it, uh, but you'll be attacked. So hold fast. Meet together with fellow believers. That's what he says to do. Get back together. It's amazing how many people say, you don't need to go to church to be saved. Of course you don't. You don't need to do anything to be saved. What's the purpose of the local body? Coming together to encourage one another to love and good works and to equip the saints to do the ministry. That's what we all meet together. And then proclaim the good news concerning Christ. It is so simple. Isn't it simple? Jesus died and rose again. If you believe in him, what does he give you? What's the offer? Eternal life. It's that simple. Don't mess it up. It's so simple that a child can understand it.